Hey, welcome to the New Life podcast. We're so glad that you could join us. New Life is one family, many churches, and we're located in Brisbane, Coolangatta, Morton Bay, and Rabina. And we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for our series we've titled Foundations, The Apostles' Creed. In a world where truth can feel subjective, the Apostles' Creed offers statements of truth that beckon the heart to respond. So join us as we explore these truths that have sustained historic Christianity amid turbulent times and encounter a God not merely to be believed in, but experienced. We pray this message encourages you as we apprentice to become more like Jesus together. Enjoy the podcast. As you do, why don't you jump to your feet as I read the teaching text for today. Thank you. If you're standing at home, hey, you know what? I'd love if you're joining us online. Why don't you jump to your feet as well? Today's teaching text comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It reads this. See to it that no one takes you captive. Everyone say captive. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. This is the Word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray for the Word today. Jesus, we thank You so much we can gather around Your Word. Lord, in a world that says everything can be true, we pray You would show us the truth. In a world which, which can often bring confusing ideas and thoughts to our mind, we pray that we would hear Your voice clearest of all. Jesus, I thank You, Your Word does not return void. And would You make Yourself known to us today as we study and learn what it means to embrace truth. Less of me, more of You. And all God's people said... Amen. You can grab yourself a seat. Well, whether you're online or in the room today, my name is Michael and I'm really thankful to be with you as we, as we launch our next series, which is called Foundations, the Apostles' Creed. And as I was thinking and praying about this, I was reminded that as I've gotten older, it hasn't been easier to eat healthily. As I grow older, it's not easier these days to eat healthier than when I was younger. Now, any of those of you who are older might be like, ah, that's because, you know, we eat a bit of chocolate and sticks around a little longer than us than it does our young compatriots who have a faster metabolism, which is true. I love chocolate. I, uh, my, my good friend, Brett Lush, the New Life Care EO, uh, Executive Officer, he has a stash of chocolate in his office that I know where it is. And uh, I, I know where it is even when he's not there. He's not in this service confessions. So uh, it's a beautiful moment. But generally, I, I like to eat healthily. I like to eat healthily because I, I wanna be around for my kids. I wanna be active for my kids. I wanna be a healthy father and a husband for a long time. But there came a problem. See, the reason why I think it's hard to eat healthy is I get confused as what's healthy these days. Four years ago, I was serving at Red Frogs at schoolies and um, we were all talking about what we're eating uh, in the mornings, all trying to, you know, like, you know, talk about our health routines and how we're trying to stay fit and, and, and these signs. And one person's like, I eat Fruit Loops. And I'm like, you are a Fruit Loop. That's terrible for you. Uh, I eat Cocoa Pops. Another person started getting healthier and they said, I eat granola. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And then I said, oh, I eat eggs. I have about four to five eggs in the morning. And everyone goes, <gasps> I'm like, what? It's like I said, I ate waffles like for a living. They're like, you know, eggs are really unhealthy for you. And I'm like, since when were eggs unhealthy for you? And this other person's like, yeah, they increased your estrogen levels. Did you know that? I'm like, what the heck is going on here at schoolies? And it was a confusing moment. One of my mates who used to eat like eight eggs a day has stopped eating eggs forever since the last, since four years ago. He's like, I'm never touching an egg. And again, I'm like, okay, so maybe, maybe eggs are unhealthy. Then one day, I, I was eating fruit. I love fruit. If you asked me, Michael, would you prefer to have a peach 
or a chocolate peach every day of the week. Fruit's where I'm at. I think fruit's amazing. And I'm eating this banana one day and I hear someone say that bananas are worse for you than a can of Coke. And I'm like, when will this health fad system just take a break? The next thing they're gonna tell me is that donuts are bad for me and then it's just gonna be horrible for everybody involved. And so these days I'm having like micro-stimulated superfoods of like, you know, chia seeds and kale wondering, are these, not really, but it feels like uh, what is healthy keeps changing positions depending on who we listen to and which Instagram story or YouTube we follow. I don't know about you, but it's getting harder to know what is healthy in these day and age. Amen? And the problem with that is that I don't have any answers for you. I don't know what is healthy. And I'm sure there are some doctors in the courtyard afterwards that love to tell me what I got right and wrong. But I do know this, is that not only has it become more confusing to work out how to eat healthy, with the changing fads and the culture that we're in, it's even become just as hard to work out what is true. It feels like every year, every year I've been alive in a postmodern, post-truth world, it's become harder to work out what is actually true and what we should actually believe. In a post, post-modern world, some might say, truth has become what we would call as relative. And, and we talk about truth in ways where we don't want to offend other people. And you might have heard people say things like, what is true for you is true for you and what is true for me is true for me. And that's what it kind of means for truth to be relative. It means that truth has stopped being about fact and become about opinion. It stopped being about reality and become about comfort. And we all have examples of this. And maybe you're here today and it plays out when people say, well, you know, all religions are probably true. Maybe all religious texts have truth in them. Maybe it doesn't really matter who's right and who's wrong as long as we tolerate each other's belief. The problem with that, friends, is that I actually do believe in truth. I believe that you can know what is real that whilst it may be confusing whether or not they're gonna tell me brown rice is bad for me, in Jesus' Name I pray no, there are some things we can say, I believe not just about reality, but about God and eternity that are true. And when we fall into the trap of believing that truth is subjective and based on opinion, then our lives can become confusing and it shifts every time someone has a new philosophy or idea. A professor, I'm going to get his name wrong, by the name of Roger Wingert, was teaching uh, ethics at a university one day. And he hopped up in front of his class in the first session. He said this, hands up, who believes that truth is relative? Who, who believes that truth is just an opinion or a preference? And two thirds of his class raised their hands. He's like, oh, thank you so much. He put your hands down. He said, okay, so let me just tell you a bit about the subject, the class. And as he went on talking, he said, um, after he discussed the syllabus, he told them how they would be graded. And he stood there and he said, I want to let you know that we're going to grade everyone according to height. If you are short, you are going to get an A. And if you're tall, I'm going to flunk you. There was this confusion. The short people for the first time in their life, like, yes! And the tall people are like, yeah, it's different up here. And there's this moment, right, where where, where there was this challenge. One of the students put up his head and said, you can't do that. He said, I can't do what? He said, you can't grade us according to height. And he said, I can do what I want. I'm the professor. He said, no, no, no. What you ought to do is grade us according to how well we learn the material. You should look at our papers and exams to see how well we've understood the content. He said, it's interesting because you betray yourself and your belief in relativity by the words should and ought. If you were a true relative, 
relativist, you would realize there is no external standard to which my grading should be held. If my truth and my ethics lead me to an alternate grading system, then I should and ought to do only what I believe. Say la vie, my friend. Your heights will determine your success. What's he saying here? He's making a point that the world is okay with truth being relative until it impedes and, in, and infringes and imprisons them in their reality. At some stage, we have to be confronted with the fact that there is truth. In fact, John chapter 16, Jesus makes this bold statement. What does He say? He doesn't say, I might be the truth, I might be the life and I might be the way. He says, no, I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. And this is one of the most controversial things Jesus said. Don't mistake it, friends. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy and a good teacher. This is a wild statement that either makes Him a liar or true. As Christians, we do not believe in subjective opinion when it comes to eternal realities. We believe this, that what you believe matters. What you believe matters. And in a world that says the truth is subjective, we say, oh, I don't know if reality matches up to that. I've been reading a book by a guy named Trevin Wax called The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Who's just ready for this page turner to go home through tonight? Some of you are like, honey, get me that book. That sounds like mm, so good, but it's brilliant. Trevor Wax says this, we hear a lot these days about speaking your truth or living your truth as if the word truth is now just a synonym for perspective or experience. Surely we should make room for sharing our perspective and recounting our experiences. That which is good, friends. It's good to talk about what you've experienced. But if our tendency is to adorn truth with adjectives like my truth and your truth and never the truth, we are fundamentally violating the very definition of truth itself to begin with. Truth is what is right, regardless of time, situation or circumstance. Which friends, maybe there are two kind of things we need to think through. Not only what do you believe to be true, but maybe the greater question is this, what is true and do you believe it? What is true and do you believe it? Friends, there are so many people in the room today. There's so many people joining us online. Maybe you're watching us from Sydney as you just recover from Taylor Swift's concert last night. I'm not sure where everyone's at. I praise, you know, well done guys for being here today. You could have been in Sydney, but you know, the true and faithful are in church, unless you're online in which God loves you. There's this sense that some of you might be here and you're exploring Christianity and the idea that Christians or Jesus might hold truth is offensive, concerning, and, and, and maybe challenging to you. Can I just ask, would you come on a journey with us? Don't, don't be offended by this, but come and explore truth with us. Not that you would force to believe something you're not comfortable with, but that we might journey together and test truth. Because see, if it's truth, it can be tested. If it's truth, it can be known. If it's truth, it can be trusted. There's some of you here today who are struggling in your Christianity or your faith walk and there are many doubts that you have about God. Can I say that that's okay? Thank you for being with us. But our doubts doesn't mean that there isn't truth out there. It just means we need to just do a bit of a journey to finding that truth, discovering it, not as our own opinion, but as subjective reality. As objective reality. And there are some of you here today, maybe you're like, I don't need this. I'm pretty much stoked and I'm good to go. I know what is true. I know what isn't true. And I wanna caution you against passive cultural Christianity where your, your lean is always towards cultural conservatism as what Christianity is, rather than actually historical Christianity, orthodox Christianity as what is true. Some of you are like, I don't understand that last one. Some of you are right with me where I am. That we might not step into what is comfortable, but what is true. And it might challenge us all. I was once in Canada in a hostel at 2 a.m. in the morning, which is how all good stories start. 
And uh, some of you heard this story. And there was a man there, I walked out of my room, there was a man there wearing a fedora and another dude having a conversation with him that had dreadlocks, which already sounds like a joke. And the guy with the fedora was like, you know, preaching to the other dude. He said, just so you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell and you'll spend eternal life in separation from Him. And only you can get to the Father through. And he's like, like ranting. I'm like, oh no, please don't associate me with this guy. So I take a step this way. And then this guy over here with the dreadlocks is like, bro, you just gotta chill, man. I believe truth is found in concentric circles on the back of turtles. And when you smoke, the world just kind of comes alive. And I'm like, oh, I am just trying to holiday in Canada. What the heck is going on at 2 a.m. in the morning? Then Fedora wearing genius over here turns to me and goes, hey, are you a Christian? And I'm like, hey, could you shut? You know, it's like I was not wanting to be in that conversation. And, uh, and when he turned to me, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, I am. And then the dreadlock dude then was like, ah, it's two verse one, let's go. And I'm like, nah, that's not how I wanted this conversation to play out. And I just remember, I'd like my taxi pulled up, take me to the airport. I'm like, hey, can I, um, can I say something? I said, hey, hey, being to the dreadlock guy, like, bro, it sounds to me like you really wanna find truth. He's like, yeah, man. I said, can I, can I challenge you that Jesus said this interesting thing once. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And I wanna challenge you, don't settle for what you is comfortable. Don't settle for concentric circles on the back of turtles because it's, it's, it's nice. But if you pursue truth, I believe you'll find Jesus. So don't ever give up pursuing truth. Because at the end of that journey is a person who loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to know him. And this guy's like, dude, can we hug? I'm like, no. We did hug though, he smelled. But there was this sense like where it's like, you know, it was a beautiful moment. It was just like this, this sense of, hey, this isn't about versing the world, but inviting the world. In fact, inviting ourselves to come and know the one who is true. This is what Paul is dealing with. You see, the early church was being confronted with the reality that there were many different ideas around what was true. And in the book of Colossians, Paul writes to a church in Colossians, uh, in Colossians where, where he's writing to a church he didn't plant and he never visited. But there was a man named Epaphras, which is a great name, name your next kid Epaphras. Epaphras had planted the church and he was concerned about what was happening. So he comes to visit Paul in prison when Paul's in Rome. And he says, Paul, there are all these mystical polytheism happening in our city at the moment. What does that mean? It means that the city was filled with different new age spiritualities, different gods, different philosophies, different ideas, tarot cards and, and, and worship of different things things and that Jesus was one of many gods and that people were starting to say, you can believe in Jesus as one of the gods, but not as the God. And Epaphras was saying to Paul, some of the Christians are starting to be like, oh, maybe Jesus isn't the only God. Maybe, maybe He can kind of fit in to everything else that we believe. And Epaphras says, Paul, what do we do? And so Paul writes to the church in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and he says this. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. That word captive that Paul uses there, he's writing to the church in Colossians, and, and he's saying this word that would have been used to describe what a barbarian horde would do when they invaded a city. Now that's not something we probably have experienced necessarily, but the idea of a barbarian horde coming in, taking people and then taking them back home to their culture and their city. He's saying, be careful that other people's ideas and philosophies and new age spirituality don't take you captive away from that which is true. You see, around the church in Colossae, there were these, these different ideas and thoughts coming to prominence. 
Ideas that were in challenge about Jesus being the only way to the Father. Ideas around, could Jesus really raise from the dead in the bodily resurrection? Ideas which began to insinuate that maybe truth was not monopolised by Christ, but was like a subjective opinion that could be held by all. And Paul insinuates this, it's really dangerous if you don't know when someone is teaching or speaking a truth, a religion or a philosophy that is in direct contrast to the words of God. And he's saying, if you don't know it, then what's going to happen is that you could be taken captive. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't really understand. What, what, is it, what would that look like? Well, let me paint you a picture of what's like an analogy I heard this week. Let's say you have a daughter um, and you and your daughter, if you're single, we just picture you have a daughter. If you're family, picture your daughter. And your daughter reaches of age where she can start dating. And as she starts to date, her boyfriend comes over and you, know, you meet with him and you go, hey guys, can you just be back by 10 o'clock? And they're like, yep, great, we'll be back by 10 o'clock. And they go out to a cafe, they're having a lovely time. And at 9.30, the daughter says, hey, we should probably start hitting the road um, because dad said you should be home by 10. And the boy turns and goes, what do you think he meant by 10 though? Do you think he actually meant 10 p.m.? Maybe he was just thinking it's a general rule and principle and a guideline to just maybe help us have a good time. But if we're having a good time, maybe, maybe he wasn't so concerned. Maybe he said 10 p.m. so you would have a way out. But maybe there's that. And the girl goes, yeah, actually, my dad's always says home is where the heart is. I've got to be honest, my heart is here with you. So maybe he means I'm home and I've got to find myself with you at 10 p.m., and then the boy starts to go, well, yeah, you know what's interesting is, is that it's 10 p.m. It's getting to 10 p.m. here, but it was 10 p.m. ages ago in America. So was he meaning our time zone or a different? I don't know if your dad was trying to be specific because there are many time zones he could have been talking about. Maybe he's giving us permission to work out what he meant. We laugh, but in Genesis chapter 3, is this not how the serpent takes captive the mind of humanity? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the tree. And friends, there are moments in our life where we've got to be really aware of things that start to challenge truths in our world without proper examination. That God has given us truth not to hurt us, but for our flourishing. And too often when truth becomes subjective, we actually are not aware of when truth becomes taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies in our world. Paul deals with it again in the church of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, he says to the Ephesian church, hey, listen, if we're believing the right things and teaching the right things, then this is what's gonna happen. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I don't know if you remember last, we won't go to that one. I don't know if you remember that last week when I spoke about the idea of what it means to grow as a disciple is to move past feeding on spiritual milk into spiritual food of meat and steak. This is what Paul is saying. If we don't sit under good teaching, if we don't actually know what truth is, then you're gonna be like an infant tossed to and throw by the waves of cultural uh, fads and cultural opinions. And, and there's this sense that some of us have become so passive in our belief of what is true that when we hear something on YouTube or, or, or you know, Instagram or something on television or one of our friends say it, we're like, oh, maybe that sounds comfortable. That sounds nice. That sounds good. Because we've lost actually a deeper conviction in ourselves of what do we actually believe is true. Why? Because what you believe matters. That's what Paul's trying to say. 
Paul's trying to underscore this idea that what you believe matters. Why? Because what you believe informs what you value and what you value will form how you live. And if you're not convicted about what you believe, then people will tell you what to value and influence you how to live. We've seen this throughout history. If I were to show you a picture of Martin Luther King and ask you, what what did Martin Luther King believe about the image of God? What did Martin Luther King believe about the value of human life? You'd be able to say, well, he believed black men and white men were, were equal that we should love one another, that we should fight for justice and equality. Well, okay, so, so how he lived tells you what he values and what he values tells you what he believes. If I were to hold up a picture of Adolf Hitler and I were to say, what did Adolf Hitler believe about human life? You'd be able to go, well, he didn't believe everyone was equal. It wasn't just a Jewish thing. He actually had classes of society and killed a lot of different people. And, and that's because he didn't value all human life. He only valued the Aryan race. And he valued the Aryan race because what he believed was that not everyone was created equally in the image of God, right? And so we then go, oh, Michael, I think you're being a bit intense. But through history, even right now in our world, we see how what people believe determines what they value, determines how they live. And we go, yeah, but Michael, we're not like Hitler or Martin Luther King. True, but let me just tell you a real practical example. I think everyone in this room would be like, all people are created equal and should be equally loved and equally valued. And that goes out the window as soon as you get cut off in traffic. <laughs> that idiot, how, how mm, where did you, you know, we just like everything, we become superior to them because of a moment. Because we can say what we believe, but what we believe is demonstrated by what we value, which is exemplified by how we actually live. What you believe matters. Do you believe in truth? Are you convicted of truth today? And you see, back in the early church, what happened was, is that there was this this deeper need for the early church to have an idea of what was true as according to Scripture. So they invented what we call creeds. And there are many different creeds. There, there are only a few that are actually believed to be creeds held by the church. But what creeds were is creeds were not statements that were above the Bible and the Bible was under the creed. A creed was a statement that summarised the truth in Scripture. Friends, here at New Life, we believe in scriptural discernment. We believe in the Word of God as the authority of God and we live our life according to that. And we form our worship around that. But what, creed, what happened was in the early church, not everyone could read and not everyone could write. So if the only way to understand God's heart, God's will and God's character was to read the Word, then that was only a select group of people in society. So what they did is they distilled the truths of Scripture down to creeds so that people could memorise these short statements and their mind would be anchored in truth as they lived in a world of subjectivity. Their mind would be anchored in truth as they lived in a world of opinion. And these creeds, particularly the one we're gonna look at over the next couple of weeks, which is the Apostles' Creed, became this understanding that, hey, if you wanna know what we believe, here it is. And friends, it's still true of the church today. We are a church that hold to and believe in the Apostles' Creed. What does that mean? We do not believe the Apostles' Creed is more authoritative than Scripture. We believe the Apostles' Creed summarises the truths of Scripture in a way that is helpful. So all people can go, hey, I'm gonna anchor my truth on this. So when you believe or understand what the Apostles' Creed says, you're actually going, this is the story of the Word of God in short statements. 
And there's nothing more helpful for us today. And I sense that we need to be called back to return to be a people whose life are built on the foundation of orthodox Christian truths. When I say orthodoxy, some of you think I'm talking about like Eastern Christian, like European Eastern Christianity with like long robes, long beards and like swinging incense, which is actually, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a beauty to that. But that's not what we mean. Orthodox means right belief. It doesn't mean dead belief. doesn't mean old belief. It means right belief. Some people say, oh, well, you know, it's an evangelical church. I, I don't, we're not an evangelical church. Oh, we're a Pentecostal church. No, no, I don't believe we're a Pentecostal church. New Life is a historical Orthodox Christian church. What does that mean? We believe in the dynamic movement of the Spirit, that the Spirit moves in power, in gifts and in miracles and in people. Why? Because that's an Orthodox Christian belief. It's not an old traditional belief. It's the belief of the church throughout the ages. We believe in the Word of God as living and good for reproof, for teaching and for sculpting and shaping lives. Why? Because that's an Orthodox Christian belief. That's right belief for the church. And we hold these truths to be real and important to us. And we hold to the Apostles' Creed. So the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to step through the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to do it because there's never been a more time more critical than this, that we have the right foundations for our faith in a world that says opinion trumps truth. We say truth is higher than my opinion. And the Apostles' Creed developed by the the church in the second and third century says this. Now, there's gonna be some words here after the first service you say this that will trigger some people. That's the best word I can say. Give me a second to explain some of them real quick. Okay, this is what the Apostles' Creed reads as. It says this, I believe in God the Father, God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead and on the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, when I read that, people in the first service said, Michael, I need you to change a couple of words. Can you change Father? Can you change Catholic? And can you change saints? So real quick, Anna is going to nail what the Father means next week. Come along and listen to Anna. We are welcome. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Here's the best thing I can say about the Creed. Friends, do not let the sins of man change the truths of God. Let me be very clear. We call God the Father, not because God is a biological Father, but because it is a scriptural understanding of His role and His authority that doesn't reflect the brokenness of humanity's fatherhood. We call the church Catholic, not because we believe in the denomination of the Catholic church, but before that that ever existed, the early church used the word Catholic. The word actually means universal. And throughout history, when the early church said Catholic, they weren't thinking of a Pope or like, you know, you know St. Barnaby's down the road. They were talking about the universal church. Then the Catholic church, as we know it, spawned into life and called itself Catholic to adopt the name of universal. But we're not gonna move away from historic truths because of modern day experiences. Secondly, thirdly, the word saint, people are like, I don't know if I believe in Saint Margaret. And Saint. The saint, when Paul used the word saint, saints was a word he used for everyone who was a follower of Jesus. Hey, saints, welcome to church today. So what I want you to do, don't let modern failures change ancient truths. Really important. Okay, that wasn't even my notes. So we've got to fly through the next part because some people came up to me after the service to explain why, you know, and I, I, that's good. I hope there are parts of what we've talked about today that go, I need to understand this better. Can I tell you why? That shows a beautiful engagement with faith. That's not heresy. That's not, that's not bad doubting. That's the sense of God, take me on a journey to understand this deeper, not just accept it at plain sight. What a beautiful maturity that brings to the journey of faith. Please do that. Engage with it well.
Friends, I believe that we need to walk on this journey to understand scriptural truths made evident through the Apostles' Creed. Michelle Morin says it like this, the Apostles' Creed is an expression of certainty to encourage belief in an era when believers may prefer mystery or ignorance. Ignorance. God's incomprehensible nature is distilled into statements of truth. They cut through opinion and offer borrowed words to help the heart along. Help the heart along. Great writing. While it's true, the repetition of a creed has no saving value. There is great faith anchoring value to a deeper understanding of the affirmations that define historic Christianity. Friends, there are four things that I believe God will achieve, that I believe we are hoping for God to achieve in us as we land the plane today. I know some of you are like, land the plane with four things. Watch me, let's go. First thing is gospel clarity, gospel unity, gospel intimacy and gospel hope. When I say the word gospel, some of you think that what we're talking about is the work of Jesus Christ, which is true. The gospel is not less than the work of Jesus Christ, but it is more. The gospel is the good news of the Bible in full, not just the work of four gospels at the start of the New Testament. So important for us to recognise. And I believe God wants to achieve gospel clarity in us. There's this old show, not many of you probably watched, it's called Sesame Street. And when, we, when you watch Sesame Street, I had funny a laugh in the 8am, that Sesame Street they had this thing, where they had this game where they would go, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't, beautiful, three of us, doesn't belong. And what they'd have is they'd have an apple, a banana and a knife. And you'd have to work out which one doesn't belong. And you know, me as a kid, I was like, apple. You know, I just didn't understand the point of the game. But what were they trying to teach kids? They're trying to teach them differentiation, being able to understand, comprehend um, the purpose behind objects. And I believe that what the Apostles' Creed of this series will do is will give you an ability to go, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's too much teaching in the world today, received through podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, where we don't have a filter of what is true. If someone has pastor in front of their name, they look schmick on a platform, we're like, must be true. That is so dangerous. We actually need to have a greater perspective. Friends, just because Michael holds the microphone and tells you something with loud decibel volumes doesn't make it true. We have to be mature enough in our faith to know what is true and hold the weight of whatever we hear told us to be true against what we know to be true. That we discern when someone says to you, you give to God, He gives you a Ferrari, we can go, that's not true. When someone says to you, all religions are okay and lead to God. That's not true. Not because we're trying to offend people, but even our Muslim like friends would also agree with that. Usually people who don't follow a faith are the ones that are purporting that all faiths lead in the same direction. They don't. And most faiths are happy with exclusive truth claims. So should we be. Because it helps us define reality as we know it to be experienced. Friends, when we talk about orthodoxy, right belief, we need to know that there is a thing in our world called heresy. And heresy obscures biblical truth to the point the gospel is radically altered and thus presents a substantially departure from the history witnessed to the church in matters of faith and practice, as said by Trevin Wax. I say this to you because one of the roles of Paul gave to the church is to be aware when teaching is dangerous. When people start preaching that one races or people's life is more valuable than another, that is dangerous teaching. When people start preaching and saying that only some people are valued as the images of God, that is dangerous teaching. When we start saying it doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead, that is dangerous teaching. And we should actually be aware of these things. 
But some of us aren't aware of them because we've become passive in our faith. And Trevor Wax goes on to say this, Christianity becomes just one aspect of a busy life. What we believe we're told isn't as important as how we live. And even then, it's fine if our life choices don't line up with Christian teachings, as long as our faith helps us to be true to ourselves and keeps us from hurting anyone. One of the causes of this spiritual malaise is our loss of confidence in the truth and goodness of the Christian faith. Friends, let's be robust in our belief that we might be robust in being the people of God. Gospel clarity, and I believe gospel unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Matthew 16, Jesus and Paul seem to insinuate that there are truths that the universal church hold dear that unite us together as one people. And I believe that that to be true, that right now, friends, that there are people who will meet this weekend in North Korea as part of the persecuted church who hold the Apostles' Creed to be true and we are their brothers and sisters in God's universal church. That right now there are people that will gather in Vietnam in prayer that hold to the Apostles' Creed as truth despite the persecution they may be experiencing. Because why? Because they are our brothers and sisters. That right now, friends, there are Palestinian Christians huddled in prayer in fear and in worry that hold the Apostles' Creed to be true and they're hoping that their brothers and sisters around the world remember them. And the reason why I say this is because sometimes we walk away from from statements of truth because we've been hurt by the church. But what the Apostles' Creed and what the Scripture gives us is something which trumps our geographical experience of humanity's brokenness and of the church's institutionalisation and says, even though the local church hurt you, you are still part of a global church that loves you, that calls you brother and sister and is asking for you to love them back and pray for them. You have a greater unity available to you than just in Rabina on Sunday mornings. We're part of a global movement of people that believe Jesus is King and He wants to renew His world. We have gospel intimacy. One of the things that, that, um, that I, I love this week was the analogy that what happens so often in our Christian faith is it's like we've received a real estate, a real estate of like 40 million hectares, right? And it's like, it's given to us to explore, to look at, to love, to, to engage with. It's like, this is your property, go and explore it, how good is it? And so much of the way that the Christian interacts with the beauty of the Gospel and of God and these 40 million hectares is to lock themselves in a broom cupboard and just go, yeah, but this is safe. I understand these four walls. So I'm not gonna go explore what's out there because it's scary and it's dangerous. Because when we realise the immensity and the hugeness of God, we retreat into what we control rather than surrender ourselves to the fullness of His experience. And here's the beauty. You are called, friends, not to live in safety, but wonder. Have you ever seen an elephant see the ocean for the first time? Now you have. This baby elephant sees the ocean for the first time. The ocean which is beyond its control or ability to understand. This elephant will never go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench or know the pressure that actually forces fish to be disfigured. And, and, but what does the elephant do? Does it run from the ocean or goes, this is something beautiful to be enjoyed. It goes, I love the picture of just like the head first, like poof, wash over me, right? We need more of this in our approach to God. Too often what happens is, is that we're like, I don't quite understand stuff. So I'll just kind of, you know, I'll keep stuff simple. Love God, love people. Beautiful, love it, so good. There's so much more for you. So much more for you. God is so infinite in His beauty, so glorified in His nature that angels that have been in His His presence since eternity only know how to do one thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Friends, sometimes we sing songs or I read the Apostles' Creed and some of you are like, eh, be aware of that because God 
should not evoke a eh, response, but an awe in us. And if that is lost to you, my prayer is that during this series, would something bubble up again where you fall deeply in love and deeply amazed and in awe of the wonder and the beauty of God. That God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit would be known by you for He can be. Jesus wants intimacy with us, friends, and we can have it through the truths we hold to. We experience a God that's real. Last thing, I believe God's gonna give us a gospel hope. See, the beauty of the gospel is simply this, that God the Father created the world for you to enjoy. God the Father created it through the Son for us to enjoy. And here's what happened. We ruined it with our agency. But God the Father didn't stay there. God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit conspired in a divine conspiracy. And if God became man, flesh called Jesus Christ, He pursued you, He chased you down. In live in history that we might know God takes on flesh to experience what we experience and to lead us back home. That by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now can be redeemed and forgiven and through the power of the Holy Spirit renewed to be His transforming agents in the world around us. That one day we will live in a renewed kingdom on heaven and on earth and we will stand with the saints celebrating and glorifying God together as death, sickness and pain are gone. Friends, this is the gospel hope that God wants to welcome you into. Are you convinced of it? Because when we anchor ourselves to the truths of God, No fad, no cultural trend will be able to shift us. We join a universal community that extends through time and into eternity that says God is good. He can be trusted, He can be known and He is a truth that has been tested and not found wanting. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know the Father? Do you know the Spirit? Some of you are like, I'd love to talk about the Trinity. We will, (laughs) praise God. Someone said, what are you gonna do that week? I'm like, I don't know, but I pray it's yeah, not my week to preach. That would be great. But it's important because the triune God in one is in pursuit of humanity. May we pursue Him back. Would you stand to your feet? As we finish today, we're gonna to read the Apostles' Creed together. I pray the words that seem challenging to you would provoke you to deeper learning and study. We're gonna do this together every single week. Would you join with me as we read the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead and on the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen, amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Friends, I just wanna offer this. If you wanna know this God today, if you want the forgiveness of sins that this God offers, if you want renewal, redemption to join Him in what is true, if your heart is pining for truth and you're sick of what the world has to offer, God stands before you today and says, come, follow me. If you wanna respond to the God of eternity right now, He would would love to meet with you. If that's you today, either in the room or online, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. 
If you want to know the truth of God, would you raise your hand wherever you are right now in Jesus' Name. Praise God. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. So for those hands raised right now, whether in the room or online, we're going to pray prayer together. Would everyone join us as we praise prayer? Dear Father, Son and Spirit. I know it's different for us. Let's try again. Dear Father, Son and Spirit. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Teach me truth. And lead me in Your way as my King, my Saviour and my friend. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, or maybe you want to join us in this mission of seeing more people, more like Jesus, you can contact us through our website, church.nu, or send us a message on our Instagram or Facebook pages. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.